All right, well, we are in week five of this Forever Changed series, and it's about really seizing these difficult times that we're living in and, and turning them into something good in our lives, to allow God to make us more like Jesus through the struggles of 2020. Uh, I love some of these memes here. This is the 2020 we wanted. Just perfect bliss, you know, technology, peace, <laughs> flying cars. We got gypped on the flying cars. This is the 2020 we got, <laughs> standing in line, distanced, uh, miserable, hoarding. I mean, it's just been pretty fun. You might have seen uh, this meme or a version of this. The number 13 says, I am the worst number. The number 666 says, really? The number 2020 says, uh, hey, guys, hold my beer. <laughs> Hands down, 2020 is the worst number. Now, uh, when, when things get a little difficult, when there's turmoil, when there's frustrations, when there's anxieties, when there's trouble in this world, we as human beings do one of three things all the time. We're just wired to do one of three things. We're wired to fight, and we are seeing this happen all over the place. When things get anxious, when things get tough, sometimes people step up to fight. All you have to do is open Facebook, and there it is. Those are the people that are, are stepping up to fight, right? And they've, they're posting, whether it's this political thing or this racial tension thing, this election thing, this pandemic thing, um, they're just fighting, right? Some churches are choosing to fight. They're, you're just wired like that. I'm kind of wired like that. I'm having to, to just kind of God work in my life to tone things down. But uh, some of us are just wired to kind of step up to a difficulty and just start, start fighting. Now, that's a way of self-protection because sometimes when things are getting a little bit tense, we're feeling as though, you know, the world's pressing in on us or people are pressing in on us. And so we're self-defending by attacking, right? By fighting. It's very normal. There's also the flight reaction, fight or flight. Flight is when you say, okay, things are just troubled out there, and so I'm going to make my world smaller. I'm going to retreat a little bit. So these are people who say, I'm done with social media. I can't take it anymore. I'm just, I'm just tired of people fighting and bickering and commenting all over the place. I'm going to make my world a little smaller. Uh, maybe my friendship circles even are smaller because I, I don't really like hanging out with people who just want to talk about the problems. I want to hang out with a smaller group that I trust, and maybe it's just my family, just a few core friends. And so we're just retreating from the fray very normal, very natural. Another reaction is to freeze, fight, flight, or freeze. And, and these are the people who tend to just be sort of frozen with anxieties. They're not proactively fighting. They're not proactively retreating. They're just kind of stuck, and they're just hoping this thing just all goes away magically, right? Uh, and, and, they're, and they're not knowing what to say or what to do because they're afraid anything they say is going to be wrong. Um, when they think about the future, there's probably this sinking feeling in their stomach, right? This is the, the freeze mechanism. So which are you? It's usually one of these three, fight, flight, or freeze. And I don't want you to beat yourself up for that. This is really, you know, God's wiring to protect ourselves when things get tough. This is just the natural way we survive, right? But we want to do better than that. We want to do better than that. We, we want to ask God in these struggles, would you make me more like Jesus? And would you allow me to make the world a little more like heaven? in what little way I can. So that's what this series is all about, Forever Change, is God, would you make me more like Jesus, and would you make the world a little more like heaven, especially through the difficult times? And these are tough times. I mean, a pandemic that just keeps going and going, right? Ongoing racial tensions, violence in the streets of America that we haven't seen in decades, right? The political nightmare that is this election season, it is not easy. 
And he added this, a couple of fun facts. So here's something I read just the other day. There's an asteroid headed to Earth. You might not have, have known this. It's asteroid 218 VP1, and uh, it is headed to Earth. Now, before you panic, it's a small guy. It's six and a half feet wide. So even if it does, you know, kind of hurl towards the Earth, it very well could burn up in the atmosphere. There's also a one in 200, roughly one in 220 chance of this thing actually striking the earth. But, you know, I thought it was kind of fun. Oh, it's supposed to hit the day before election day. <laughs> How fun is that? And then, of course, there was this uh, fire tornado in California, actually a series of fire tornadoes in California. And uh, that's a very rare event that there would be fire tornadoes. So much fire and so much wind, it creates fire tornadoes. Uh, Duster Nickerson has a little fun thing on that. Um, he's coming here in mid-September. And then yesterday, I got this from my daughter. Uh, she went to the beach to kind of hang out. And uh, yes, aggressive sharks enter at your own risk. That was in our, you know, roughly our backyard here over at the beach. Uh, sharks, aggressive sharks are in the water. And so you know what that means? It means that this week, guaranteed, there will be shark fire natos. Absolutely guaranteed shark fire natos coming. It is 2020. Certainly, that would not surprise us. But in all seriousness, in addition to the pandemic and racial tensions and election madness, people are experiencing personal financial troubles. They are experiencing grief, maybe even loss of a loved one. We have lost several members here at Rancho, you know, not COVID related, but just dear, dear people who helped build this congregation. And we've had so many memorials and losses. There really is a deep, deep anxiety and grief in so many lives, in so many lives. And so what happens is a stirring of the soul, not just in the fight, flight, or freeze in terms of how we react, but in our soul internally. There's a lot going on that even impacts our faith. Now, for some people, when things get tough, they just get more determined. They have this determined faith, and they, they're basically self-talking that, that I am not going to let these troubles impact my faith. I'm going to keep believing the same way. I'm going to keep holding on to the same truth. I'm not going to let go of the things that I was taught. I have this determined faith and I'm not going to waver. And there's a lot of people who respond to troubles with that determined faith. I'm not going to move. There's others who have profound questions about their faith. When, when sort of the religious platitudes that maybe we were raised on don't necessarily work in the real world, it can really cause profound questions. You know, I'll give you just a, a couple of examples. You know, you pray with enough faith and God will make it happen. That's something that a lot of people have kind of heard. Well, you know, we're praying and praying and praying. We're praying for our world. We're praying for our nation, our community. We're praying for loved ones. And we pray with faith and, and we were taught that that's the formula. You pray and believe and, and God promises it's gonna happen and it doesn't work. And what we're praying for is something good, and there's a good God, and he's in control, and I'm praying for this good thing, and it doesn't happen. And so all these kind of religious paradigms start to fall apart, especially in times of trouble. And so there are profound questions that come up in the soul about our faith. And I want you to know that's fine. That's good. It's a good, healthy part of, of growing in our faith. If we're never challenging or questioning, that means we're never growing. We're just kind of reloading what we were taught in our youth. We've talked about that a few times. But, but don't be afraid of the profound questions. There could be something even deeper in the soul, which is unsettled doubt. Not only are we questioning our faith, but we are actually doubting the very core of our faith, right? Is this, is this real? Is, is the Bible the word of God? Is Jesus the only way? I mean, when, when, we're, when we are struggling, really struggling in life, there's a lot of things that happen in our soul that makes us uneasy and it results in unsettled doubt. 
And, and while we might be afraid of that doubt word, I don't want us to necessarily be afraid because sometimes we have to challenge even, even the, the core of our faith in order to have something emerge that is truly our own faith, not the faith that's just been pa- passed down to us, but our own faith that has been strengthened through struggle. Really where faith becomes our own and becomes strong is when it's tempered in the fire. So even unsettled doubt, you know, don't let that, don't let guilt or shame overwhelm you if you are struggling with doubt. Um, Simply doubting Thomas, right? He didn't believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, but Jesus told him, I'm going to do that. So here he is, a core disciple, and and doesn't believe what Jesus says. Even after everybody's saying, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, he says, nah, you know, I have to put my, my finger in his wounds in order to believe. And Jesus didn't condemn him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't kick him out of the the club. Sometimes we have to go through unsettled doubt to make our faith our own or to make our faith stronger. There are also those who are flat out losing their faith. They're just done. And it's easy to do when times are tough and when there's no church. Uh, Sometimes just the habit of going to church kind of keeps us connected and keeps us grounded. Well, you know, uh, online church was great for a while, but, you know, now people have more things to do and they had to get back to work and things are opening up a little bit, but church isn't. And so, you know, it, it creates this sort of distance and it's easy to lose your faith, either intentionally saying, you know what, I'm done, I'm calling it, or to just kind of leak our faith until it's gone. Even then, I don't think that's all bad because sometimes a faith that hasn't been challenged crumbles and then a faith uh, has to emerge that's ready for the real world. And so walking through all this stuff, as hard as this is, and we don't necessarily wanna run into this for sport, but when life gets tough and when this happens to our faith, just know that God is here and God is good and God is loving and God understands. He understands. I mean, just think of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, hey, I don't, I'm full of anguish. I don't want to go to the cross. Or when he, when he shouts from the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, even Jesus, the full expression of God, understands some of this stuff, right? So, so don't beat yourself up. Now, in order for us to really be changed through this crisis when it comes to our faith, I think we have to embrace something that we Westerners don't like to embrace. And it is the idea of mystery, the idea of mystery. Mystery is not a word we really like to use very much in the West, but we use it for you know, a mystery novel or something like that, um, a whodunit kind of movie, that's mystery. But mystery in the biblical sense is something more mystical. Mystery is really holding this reality that, that there's not a lot to hold on to holding the reality that, that there's so much I don't know. That's mystery and being okay with it. Being okay with mystery. Here's, here's what mystery is, particularly when it comes to matters of faith. Mystery is that we don't, have, uh, we don't have all the answers. We don't have to have all the answers. And it's actually a more peaceful life without all the answers. Kind of a mouthful there. We don't have all the answers. We don't have to have all the answers. And life is actually more peaceful when we don't have all the answers. This is mystery and being okay with mystery, being okay with the fact that sometimes life doesn't make sense and I can't connect the dots and I don't have the answers. Being okay with the fact that I don't know much about God at all. And being settled in that and being okay with that and then taking the next step forward. Here's one biblical example of mystery. 
it is uh, the, the Jewish people. So the Old Testament is the account of the Jewish people and their struggle with God and, and, and coming up with their own kind of religious national identity. And so here they are. They've, they've escaped 400 years of slavery, brutal slavery in Egypt. They are wandering in the wilderness and suffering wandering in the wilderness for another 40 years. And they're about to go into to battle, to war for another several hundred years. So this is just a, 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 a terrible situation in terms of the history of Israel. Started 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, and then, and then war after war after war, which includes many humiliating defeats. Here's what Moses said right before they're about to go into war. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. Moses says, there's a lot about God we do not know. We're not accountable for that. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. And he's talking about the law. You know, God gave the Ten Commandments and, and supporting laws to kind of civilize them, right? And Moses says, we're responsible for what we know. We're responsible for these Ten Commandments and the explanations that follow. That's what we're responsible for. So let's do that. Moses says, we don't know anything else. But we know we have some commandments here, and we know that it's our responsibility to try to keep them and treat each other well as a result. Now, this can be translated to our experience now. There's a lot of turmoil going on. I mean, we're not talking about 11 generations of slavery and wandering in the wilderness, but these are not easy times. Let's just face it. And can we say the same thing? That what, whatever God is doing in all this, we really don't know. We really don't know. But we do know some things. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament as our guide. We have the life of Jesus Christ as the centerpiece. We have the spirit of God that works in us and through us. There's some things we know, not a lot, but there's some things we know. So we're gonna be faithful to that. We're gonna move forward with that. So we don't know why. We don't know the whys of life. We don't need to know the whys of life. We just need to be responsible for what we do know and move forward well. You see how that kind of peace emerges from that. It's like, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know why things are happening. I don't know, have to connect the dots. I don't, know, I don't have to know what God is doing behind the scenes. I don't have to know that. But what I do know, what little I do know, I'm going to be responsible and faithful to that, and I'm going to move forward and do the right thing. I hope you already feel a little bit of peace emerge. The reality is that Eastern thought, Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion embraces mystery. And, you know, Judaism is an Eastern religion. Um, that's the, the Old Testament, the Jewish people from an Eastern culture. And, and then you have Christianity, which was birthed from Judaism, which was Eastern. It was only Eastern for a few decades, and then it sort of moved West. And as Christianity moved West, Christianity moved away from mystery. Now, there are the Eastern Orthodox branches and Catholic branches of Christianity that do still embrace mystery for sure. But the evangelicalism of the West does not embrace mystery, and we have replaced mystery with knowledge, truth. And I think we lose something when we have this obsessive quest for truth and knowledge, knowing I need to know who God is, I need to know what he's doing, I need to connect the dots, that makes us feel in control. It makes us feel as though we know what's going on, and when we know what's going on, we feel more settled because we don't like mystery. We don't like saying, I don't know, and who, and who can know? We don't like saying that at all. We want knowledge, what we call truth. We want the truth. And so we'll, we'll dive in and get the truth, right? Truth, truth, truth. And, and that's what we tend to do in religious circles in the West. 
the mystery of God is replaced with, and I'll just use air quotes, I hate air quotes, but truth. Tons of truth, truth everywhere. Truth systems, systematic truth, doctrinal truth, truth that connects the dots, uh, truth defined by what feels right for, for me, or, or truth from a book I read that I liked, or truth from a pastor that I sat under that I liked. And we hold that on and call that truth. This is truth, right? The word of God says it. Well, that's what we think it says, and that's what our pastors told us it says. But do, do we really... Can, can we really hang on to that much truth? Let me give you a little example. Um, book of the Bible is about an inch and a half tall. If you were to add up all the books written just in the West about the Bible and you stacked them flat on top of each other, it would leave Earth's atmosphere. The Bible is an inch and a half thick, but we're so consumed with finding more truth about the Bible that we've written hundreds and hundreds of thousands of volumes trying to pursue more truth, more truth, more truth. In fact, Christianity in the West is largely defined as believing the right things about God. That's what Christianity is. We believe the truth, therefore God is happy. We believe the truth, therefore God saves us, right? I think it's missing the point. In the West, we are striving for truth, but we lose the mystery. As a result, we're very anxious about pursuing and seeking and grabbing on more truth because that's the definition of victory, when perhaps it's not. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says this, pretty famous verse, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, the Bible never says there's a problem with knowledge, pursuing knowledge. Uh, certainly, there's no problem with the truth. I'll talk about that in a minute. But this endless quest for knowledge just results in debates. And so all these first century early churches were just debating about all kinds of things. Opinions, biblical opinions. The Bible says this, the Bible says that, the word of God is this, the word of God is this. Fighting and bickering. And that's what's happening in our world right now, especially through the Christian church. Fighting and bickering. And everybody's walking around like, oh, we've got the knowledge. We've got the truth. Therefore, we're saved because we believe the true things about God. It's missing the point. It's missing the point. It just puffs people up. I have more knowledge, I have more truth, and you don't, so I'm superior to you. Love builds up. Love builds up. And so the truth that we're talking about and the knowledge of God that really is helpful is the knowledge of God's love for us and, and the building up of others by that love. Now, I want us to imagine a happy home. I mean, God is taught as our father. Jesus introduced that concept to the world, that God is a heavenly father. So that idea of household is the primary metaphor in terms of God's relationship with us. So I want you to imagine a happy home. Imagine a happy home. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's my house. It's a pretty happy home. We're not perfect, but it's a pretty happy home. Some of you, your homes are struggling and, and uh, maybe your marriage is struggling. I'll see you September 11th. Um, but your, your, your home isn't quite happy. But I want you to imagine a happy home, a happy marriage happy kids, happy relationship. Is your child, is your child happy because they believe the right facts about mom and dad? They believe the truth about mom and dad. They know where mom and dad were born. They know where they grew up, what schools they went to, what hobbies they had. They know uh, when they met. They know their wedding date. They know the facts about mom and dad. Is a child happy because they know the facts about mom and dad? doesn't have much to do with it, does it? A child is happy because they know mom and dad loves them. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. God is in the business of building up. And so this endless quest of knowledge, knowing, 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 study, 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 I believe the right things, believe the right things, therefore God's happy with me, therefore he saves me, it's missing the point. 
what we're to know and cling on to and what is the truth, capital T, truth is the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's what makes us saved. That's what makes us content in the knowledge of God's love. It makes us uh, just completely firm in the reality that we're loved by God, forgiven by God, embraced by God now and forever. That's what makes us saved. Not believing the right things about God. And so all this debate about, you know, what do you have to believe? What are the facts, the doctrines you have to believe to be saved? You ask that to every pastor and they're going to have a list. I just think it misses the point. I've said this once or twice before. I've been in rooms with 100 pastors and I've asked them to write down what you need to know, what doctrinal truths you need to know to be saved. And they all write their list furiously and none of them match. And 100 pastors, none of those lists match. So what does that mean? Maybe it's not about the facts that we adopt, the, the beliefs that we adopt about God, the facts about him that save us or make him happy. Maybe there's something more profound than that. Now, I know for some of you, this is your head swirling. I, I warned you in the email this week that this would be <laughs> a lot of stuff here, right? I want us to think through this. I want us to, to, to understand that this impacts so much, right? It impacts so much. It impacts our relationship with God and how we live out our Christian faith. Now, some of you are thinking, you know what? This is a struggle, but I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this, right? I, I thought that really what God wanted was me to believe the right things about him and believing the right things about him makes me saved. But this idea of a household, it really, it's about believing and experiencing the love of God, the acceptance of God, the, the embrace of God, and really enjoying being in his presence and in his household now and forever. That's salvation, not believing a list of doctrines. Some of you are thinking, well, that makes perfect sense. Some of you are thinking, as, as I had to think in my grace awakening was, you know, it never made much sense to me that God's priority was me believing the right details about him, almost as though, you know, it's a, it's a test, a doctrine test. And so, you know, the way it goes is I die and am I going to heaven or hell? Well, it depends on, you know, what I believe. And it's like a doctrine list. Well, did you believe this doctrine and that doctrine and that doctrine? Did you get the Trinity right? Did you get this right? Did you get that right? There's all kinds of, do I believe the right things? And so it's a doctrine test. Nope, you missed question seven forever in hell. You got the doctrine test incorrect. That paradigm never made a lot of sense to me. And again, in, in this religious world, God is, is or, or God through the apostle Paul is trying to tamp down all these arguments about what's right and what's wrong. And, and Paul, through the spirit of God, is trying to bring a whole new way of thinking about our relationship with God that is not about uh, having the answers to the test correct. So here's what he says in Colossians 2.2. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Okay, wow, that's, okay, that's peaceful. That's fantastic, right? That you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Know the mystery of God, namely Christ. What are we to know? We are to know this mystery of God, who is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the very center. So, so this is where if our entire focus is on Jesus Christ, who's the full expression of God, there's going to be a love and a unity that just wells up within us and pours out from us. A love and a unity that wells up in us and pours out from us because we are focused on the mystery of God, who is Jesus Christ. Not a list of doctrinal systems, uh, an endless quest for truth and believing all the right things and claiming I've got the truth, right? I'm the one who holds that truth, right? And judging people who don't. 
the truth is Christ himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is Jesus. And the more we focus and center on Jesus, who is the very mystery of God, the fact that, that God in his eternal mystery would pour himself out through a human being, Jesus Christ, show himself through a human being, Jesus Christ, everything he said, everything he did, uh, giving himself sacrificially in love on the cross, rising from the dead to show that love has the victory. Love and forgiveness is the victory that's gonna make us like Christ and make the world more like heaven, and we get to enjoy that forever. I mean, this is the exciting story of what God wants to do with us. It's a story of love and unity that's embraced through Jesus. Not embraced through uh, endless doctrines about God or even endless doctrines about Jesus, but Jesus himself, the person, the full expression of God. He is the mystery of God. He is the truth of God. John 1 says he is the word of God. It is all about Jesus. And that frees us. We can live free from needing to have all the right answers. We can be free to enjoy being loved by God through Jesus Christ and loving the world around us. Have you ever thought to yourself, what if I don't believe all the right things? What if I'm wrong? Have you ever thought that if you don't believe kind of the right things about God, that he'll condemn you? Well, we can be free from that because we are focusing on God and the expression of God through Jesus Christ. That brings this love and unity that Colossians is promising, right? We can live free from needing to have all the right answers, connecting all the dots, answering all the questions as to why this is happening. Why is that happening? Why is there, you know, the pandemic? Why are there racial tensions? Why is the, the country so divided on this election? Why, have, why am I struggling financially? Why are my prayers not being answered? Why have I lost a loved one? All these things can torture us if the answer, if, if the goal is having all the answers. But if the goal is, is resting in the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, and focusing on the love and the grace of God, the forgiveness of God poured out from God through Jesus to us, that we get to enjoy in unity by his spirit, wow, life becomes a lot more peaceful, a lot more peaceful. This has an incredible, incredible impact on how we relate with God. We don't have to have all the right answers, thinking we'll anger God if we don't. We can be free to wrestle through difficult times without thinking that, wow, I'm in some kind of risk here because I'm, I'm questioning or even have some doubts. We can be free to struggle with what we believe and why we believe it and rest in the mystery of Christ that we can know one thing, we can hang on to that one thing that I am unconditionally loved by my father and that's why I can enjoy being a part of his household, right? We can free to ask tough questions in tough times but rest in the mystery of Christ. We can feel free to ask why bad things happen and not have the answers but rest in the mystery of Christ. I love the example of the man who desperately wanted his son healed. He was struggling and struggling and he was full of grief and he comes to Jesus and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus says, you're fine. Your belief system doesn't have to be all together. You can have a measure of belief, whatever measure of belief is appropriate in your life right now, but then to understand that 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 belief does not have to be complete. It doesn't have to be entire. It doesn't have to be 100%. It doesn't have to be even right all the time. It just doesn't. It's not about being right. It's not about believing the correct facts. It's about a faith in Jesus who is the mystery of God. A couple things that impact us as we embrace this idea of mystery. One is that embracing the mystery of God is the very center of worship. A God that we understand is not a God worth worshiping. 
So if, if, if we think, okay, yeah, I got a handle on God. I've got all, I've read my systematic theologies. I've, you know, I've sat under this pastor and I've read these books and I think I've got God pretty well dialed in. Well, that God is not worth worshiping. We have a three pound ball of jelly in our head. And if this three pound ball of jelly in our head can somehow get God dialed in through all of our correct belief systems and doctrines, that is no God at all, right? That is no God at all. In fact, the scripture is is replete with songs and prayers and declarations of worship about a God that is barely known. That's why we worship him, because he can be barely known. He's so far transcendent and above us, we can barely know him, right? That's a God worth worshiping. So here's Isaiah 55, eight, eight and nine. God says this, he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's not bragging here. He just says, hey, listen, I am the eternal, invisible God. You're a human being with three pounds of jelly in your cranium. You're not gonna get it. You're not gonna understand it. And that's okay. And so when it comes to worship, I mean, I think worship is primarily declaring in our heads and our hearts and our mouth that, God, you are so, so higher, much higher than us, so much more profound than us. We cannot fathom the mysteries of who you are, and so we worship you. We worship God not because we know the full truth about him, but because we cannot possibly know the full truth about him. And so this endless quest for truth, 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 facts, 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 doctrine, 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 is really this impossible quest to know God when he is unknowable in terms of his fullness, in terms of his transcendence. So we worship him because he cannot possibly be fathomed. That's why we worship him. And that's different. I mean, in this, in this endless quest for knowledge, like, okay, let me get God figured out and then I will, I will worship the God that was figured out. It's almost like an idol, not made of wood. So I brought wood and we, you know, we carved the wood, right? And, uh, you know, as we're making a, an idol of wood, we carve the wood and say, okay, well, this looks like God to me. And so I worship that thing. We, when we essentially worship truth about God, we're doing the same thing. Okay, this is truth. This is truth. I'm embracing that truth. I heard that pastor read that book. And okay, I think I got God pretty well dialed in. I got the doctrines. Okay, there it is. It's a God that I've created, not with wood, but I've created with truth. It's still something that I've made and people might've helped me, helped me make it, but it's still something that I'm worshiping more the truth, quote unquote, than I am worshiping a God that cannot possibly be fully fathomed. We're uncomfortable with mystery. We're uncomfortable with mystery. And it's understandable. I'm not beating anybody up. I'm not beating myself up. It's understandable in times of trouble that, that we struggle with mystery because we want answers. Uh, famously, Job, right? This epic story in the Old Testament. Here's Job, and he lost everything. He lost his, his family, his kids, his wealth, his health. He lost it all. He lost it all. And at the very end, Job is just say, saying, God, I need some answers here. I need answers. And God says, respectfully, he's not condemning Job, but he's, he's giving Job a fairly firm response and saying, Job, you're not gonna get answers. That's the punchline of Job is there are no answers. I mean, that's just, it almost seems wrong. It's like, here's a man who suffered so intently. And for those of you who have suffered intently, I, I know you want the punchline, 
we want the whys. Why did all this happen? Why does this suffering happen and globally, personally? Why, why, why? And it's as though there's this buildup to this grand answer. So you read the book of Job and you're thinking, wow, he's going to get his answers, right? He's wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. He's wrestling internally. He's wrestling with his friends. He's wrestling with his wife. And, and then finally he wrestles with God. And here we go. We're going to get answers, right? And there are no answers. I'm just going to read chunks of this interaction between Job and God. God says, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you, Job, and you must answer them. God says, I'm transcendent. You're gonna question me. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. I have questions for you. So Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Job, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Hey, Job, do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out a path for the lightning? Can you, Job, direct the movement of the stars? Bring the cluster of Peleids or loosen the cords of Orion? Can you direct the sequences of the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe, Job? Can you use the laws to regulate the earth? Who gives uh, intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven? This is just little excerpts of this chapter's long asking of questions as God says to Job. And it does sound a little firm, but it's saying, Job, I need you to rest from having to seek the truth. I need you to rest from having to have all the answers. I need you to rest, and I need you to trust me, even if you know very, very little. It's mystery. Mystery. We don't like that. But I'm telling you, mystery is the very center of worship. Embracing mystery also makes us more humble. And we need humility right now. We just do not need any more arrogant, bloviating about opinions. We really don't. You know, there are some core biblical convictions, uh, core societal convictions about loving each other and caring for each other and serving each other and looking out for the best in one another that absolutely are unwavering. But we just have this, this onslaught every day of arrogant opinions, bloviating, positioning, and I think we need more humility. Embracing mystery, embracing the fact that we don't know a whole lot, we don't know a whole lot about God and his plans, is part of that. I love James 4, 10 through 11. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's laws. Just stop the constantly giving opinions and judging each other. You do that, you're judging God himself and God's law. Humble yourself. And how do we live? For the honor of others. Uh, don't, not speaking evil against each other. Treating each other like brothers and sisters. We need humility. And, and, and embracing mystery admits, I don't know a whole lot. I got some thoughts and opinions. What I do know is, I mean, really know, like clenched fist know, is really very little about God and about his work. But I'm, I'm seeing God expressed through Jesus, and that's what I'm going to focus on. 
God expressed through Jesus, what Jesus said, how he lived. It's, it's what I want to embrace and it's how I want to live. And that's a life of humility. The only time Jesus described himself, he said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. It's the only time he described himself. And so can, can we have that same kind of mentality? God, would you make me gentle and humble in heart like Jesus? Third, embracing the mystery of God makes us more peaceful, makes us more peaceful. There's a, a phrase that I really don't like, but I'm going to put it here. It's, um, and you may not like it either. Uh, it's the phrase, it is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, it's just, it's said so much. It sounds so dismissive, especially in the middle of tragedy. It sounds fatalistic, like, oh, well, who cares? It is what it is. But I want us to, I want us to, to kind of grab that thought and let's kind of retrain that thought. It is what it is. Mystery sort of embraces that. It says, I don't know a lot about God. I don't know a lot about what he's doing behind the scenes. I don't know a lot about why things happen the way they happen. I don't know a lot about that. But I'm gonna rest in the fact that God does. Even if I don't have the answers, I know that God does. And so it is what it is. If we don't have that kind of mentality, we are gonna be consumed with worry. That's why Jesus talks a lot about worry in the Sermon on the Mount. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So worry, when, when we don't embrace, okay, it is what it is. I'm just gonna keep moving forward. What can I do? I can't change it. It is what it is. Now I move forward. If we don't embrace that in the mystery of why things are the way they are, um, then we're gonna be caught up in worry. Why is this? Why is that? What's, you know, what's the purpose of this? Um, can this change? Uh, what is God doing? I need to know what God is doing here. We're worrying if we don't just rest, it is what it is. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today has enough trouble <laughs> on its own. Jesus is saying, it is what it is. Don't worry. Just kind of embrace this. Embrace whatever this is. You don't have to like it. It can be terribly painful. So live in the grief of that for sure. Feel the emotions of that. But deep down inside, don't worry. God's got it covered. I don't know how he's got it covered. I don't know where it's going to go. I can't connect the dots, but God has got it. That's what faith is. Faith is needed only when we don't know stuff. <laughs> faith is not in the things we absolutely decide to know. No, faith is saying, I don't know some things, but I'm still going to trust God. There's a great book by Peter Enns called The Sin of Certainty. You may not agree with all of it, but it's a fantastic book. He says this, the preoccupation with holding on to correct thinking with a tightly closed fist is not a sign of strong faith. In fact, it hinders the life of faith because we are simply acting on a deep unnamed human fear of losing the sense of certainty. I'm gonna close with a hymn. I'm not gonna sing it, fortunately for you but it's a hymn written by Horatio Spafford. He lost his daughters in a tragic shipwreck. He and his wife were crushed with grief, but they made a decision. And the decision was, our souls will be well. So maybe we're not gonna say it is what it is, but we are gonna say it is well with my soul. And in light of this story, listen to these verses. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. And it's the sea billows that took his daughter. Whatever my lot, God, you have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, 
it is well with my soul. So instead of just saying flippantly, it is what it is, how about we say it is well with my soul? Whatever happens in this world, it is well with my soul. I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna work to make the world a better place. I'm still gonna let God work to make me like Jesus Christ. But no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. On November, 40th, uh, November 4th, the day after the election, it's well with our soul. No matter what happens with this pandemic or racial tensions, it's well with my soul. But God, would you allow me the peace of holding life with all of its mysteries? God, but would you allow me also to take that next good step forward that I might become more like Jesus and the world might become more like heaven by your spirit through me, by your spirit through my church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Look forward to seeing you next week, Sunday morning and Sunday night right here. God bless.